Trial Brief with your host, David Otto. These days, it's very difficult to plan a podcast, an episode when news is breaking so quickly all the time. And I got very lucky today, and you got very lucky today, that on a day like today, we have the senior legal reporter for BuzzFeed, Zoe Tillman, with us today. And it couldn't have been more perfect timing. Right, Zoe? Every day feels like a week. So <laughs> I, do, I do say that. I do say that sometimes. I say, uh, you know, it, it was a uh, uh, really interesting week today. Mm-hmm. But exactly. Anyway, let's let's get right to what's going on today. I mean, I didn't plan on talking to you about uh, what was going on with uh, the GSA because just hours before we started this episode, it looks like the GSA had informed the Biden administration that they were ready to begin the transition process. Right. Yeah, it seems like the the final official certification of the election results in Michigan pushed that over the edge and seemed to be not coincidental in terms of timing. But I have to admit, got my hands full with the third branch and don't have much time to pay attention to the other branches and what they're doing right now. <laughs> sure. No, I, I get that. And first of all, you cover the courts for BuzzFeed. You know, obviously you can't cover the courts or the law without it intersecting with politics, right? It's all connected. Absolutely. And I think with this administration and this president, especially so much of their agenda has either been you know, challenged in court and the state has been decided in court or it's been enacted with the expectation that it would be up to the courts to decide what to do and how to handle things. So it's been a, a lot of litigation since the election, but I think it's really in keeping on the theme of this administration and how much of it and how much has been decided ultimately in court as opposed to Congress passing laws or you know, executive branch action. It really has all flowed through the judiciary. So this is sort of, a, I guess, a fitting way to wrap up these four years from that perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's important to note elections aren't decided in courts, right? I mean, that's not how we decide. Right. That's not how we you know, sustain our democracy. Of course, we had the incident, the recount in, in 2000. You know, I think we've been primed for this uh, over the last four years, obviously. It is important to note that courts don't decide elections. This is not normal. Correct me if I'm wrong. The official position of the Trump legal team basically over the last week has been that Trump lost Georgia because Governor Brian Kemp, who is basically a a Trump sycophant, uh, bribed a Venezuelan front company who was in cahoots with the CIA to elect communists. I mean, is that, is that a pretty fair summation? Yeah, and when you put it that way, it's sort of crazy to say yes. But yes, that is the narrative that Sidney Powell, who had been presented as a member of the campaign's legal team, the theory that she has put forward at a press conference and on conservative news networks over the past week or so. But, you know, the big caveat there is that the Trump campaign released a statement this weekend distancing themselves from Sidney Powell. So it's not as clear if the campaign is really on board with that conspiracy theory at this point. So it may be one instance where they sort of walked away from an unsubstantiated and unfounded allegation. It's really not clear. But yes, I mean, that was the narrative that Sidney Powell put forward about what had happened in Georgia. 
as you just pointed out, the administration is trying to get some distance between them and Sidney Powell, and, and for good reason. The important thing to note here is notwithstanding those theories and the promises that they were going to fight this and take it to court, and I think Giuliani had said well, something is coming in Georgia, nothing is pending in court in Georgia right now, at least nothing of substance that could really stop the election results from moving forward and getting to the Electoral College. So for all sort of the sound and fury, they're really not, they're not filing anything. They're not pursuing anything right now to undo the election results in Georgia. So I think it's a good example where the rhetoric has been so strong and, and full of fury, but it's just not backed up with what they're doing on the ground. As a lawyer, unfortunately, I have the instinct to immediately take a look at these briefs instead of going to bed at a reasonable time or doing another thing. I'm reading, I'm reading these briefs. And this has been like a, a litany of defective filings, sloppy paperwork, dubious claims that just like what you just mentioned, where the statements that are made in court, they do not match the statements that are made at these impromptu press gaggles. Right. The Pennsylvania litigation is another great example of that disconnect. You know, today we saw the Trump campaign file papers in the Third Circuit appealing orders from a judge in Pennsylvania in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, where the campaign has sort of made a big push to try and stop certification of results. But what they're actually appealing is the denial of a motion to file a second amended complaint. They're not right now pursuing expedited review of the substance of the judge's ruling over the weekend, granting dismissal of the case. They're just focusing on trying to get a second amended complaint back on the board. So despite the rhetoric of, you know, we're going to take this to the Supreme Court, this is just third circuit is just a way station. What they're actually asking for is to kick it back down to the district court to then litigate again over a new amended complaint. You know, it's just this disconnect between saying, you know, the Supreme Court is going to decide this election and the actual relief that they're asking judges to enter, that they're, I mean, they're not getting that relief, but what they're asking even doesn't match what they're telling their supporters they're doing in court right now. Yeah, that, that's an excellent, excellent observation. When I read the brief, the Pennsylvania brief that you were referring to, a couple of things really struck me. And one was that there was no legal argument. It was seven, I think I counted six pages or seven or eight tops of, of any legal argument. And usually when you have a brief of the size this was, the facts in this brief took up three quarters of the brief. And the legal argument really was, was you know, non-existent. And it, it was basically asking, you know, you, you're bringing this emergency motion and you bring the emergency motion based on an amended complaint that doesn't even exist yet. Right, right. I mean, the, the facts that they're trying to argue, right, are, are from an amended complaint that the judge has denied them the ability to make part of the record. So, you know, they can't, if the Third Circuit says no, their only option is yes, to try and take it to the Supreme Court. But all they can ask the Supreme Court to do at that point, based on the record they've created, is to ask the Supreme Court to let them file an amended complaint in the district court. That's right. it. <laughs> no, it <laughs> you're, not, you're not asking the Supreme Court to decide the election. It's, it's minutia of procedure in some ways. Remarkable, and I, I mean, I was noting. You know, lawyers were saying that they they had filed for temporary restraining order in the Third Circuit, but 
appellate lawyers I, I turned to who know this, this stuff well said, you know, that you can't, you don't ask a circuit court for a temporary restraining order, not even procedurally framing this correctly. It's just from top to bottom perplexing all the lawyers watching this, <laughs> trying to understand the rhyme or reason to it. Exactly. And that was one of the things that jump out again, is that they're asking for a preliminary injunction or a temporary restraining order, but they should be asking for an injunction pending appeal if it wants mm-hmm. any relief, right? If you want some preliminary relief. Right. But not, right. Even, not even sure where this is going. Like I usually you read a brief, you know what you're looking for in relief and you know the path and, and this you're just shaking your head. And from the legal community, obviously, this is an embarrassment. You know, it's an embarrassment in that, you know, it's, yeah, you know, sometimes you you have to file a brief late and sometimes, you know, you have some errors because it has to be done quickly, but nothing like this. Uh, the, the, it, you know, I don't even think, and, and this was my next question for you, as you cover this more closely than I've, I've looked at this, obviously, but are there appellate lawyers on this team? I don't believe so. It's the same counsel from the district court who I, I honestly don't know that much about, but they're not appellate practitioners as far as, as I can tell. Also notable is Rudy Giuliani has made an appearance in the district court. He had gotten admitted. He's out of state. You know, he's got pro hoc vitae admission. And it was his first time, according to Pacer, appearing in a case as counsel since I think 1992. It was, you know, the, the big hearing or he argued, but as the Third Circuit noted, they don't allow out-of-bar admission unless you're pro bono. And so Rudy Giuliani is not even on the briefs now. He's not allowed to enter an appearance. The lawyers who are left, again, I don't know a whole lot about them, but they're not, you know, election law experts. That's not their practice. And I, I don't believe they're appellate specialists either. Yeah. And I do know, and again, I'm going to need your help with this because it appears that over the over the last week, or maybe maybe longer, some firms who did have election law experience and did have maybe some appellate experience withdrew from from the cases. Right. There was one firm. I think it was Porter Wright, and I can't remember the rest of their name, but they've been involved in other election litigation. They're a, a reputable firm. They withdrew from the case. There had been sort of a, a public pressure campaign to trying to convince lawyers to not be involved in this effort. You know, some of that pressure has been directed at Jones Day, which has represented the Trump campaign and Trump 2016, that first campaign. So they withdrew. A new team of lawyers entered appearances. I believe they were in Texas, but don't quote me on that. And then a, a lawyer, Linda Kearns, who has represented the campaign and other litigation in state court in Pennsylvania. And then long series of events that involve a third circuit opinion in an unrelated case that really knocks out a significant chunk of their lawsuit and their theory of standing. The second team of lawyers try to file, they file an amended complaint that cuts out a lot of the the language that they now can't pursue because of new third circuit precedent. And then they move to withdraw suddenly, and then we get the final third team, including Giuliani, who comes in and says it was incorrect that they cut what they cut. That was wrong. We still think we can push this. So I think it, the district judge, in the opinion this weekend, referred to it as a tortured procedural history in the span of just two weeks, mm-hmm. which is, again, not something you want to judge saying, 
about your handling of litigation. I, yeah. From my experience as a reporter, I've never litigated, but I imagine, you know, you can speak to this better than I can. That's not something you want a judge saying in no. the first two weeks. No, for sure. Judge Brand is a Judge Brand who yes. he that was that was really some takedown, you know, from a legal standpoint in the decision. Tell us what happened in Michigan. Michigan today, the the canvassing officials finally formally certified the results of the election. Joe Biden is the winner, as you know, everyone knew from the results that had come in after election night, and it happened after several. These past few weeks, there had been litigation trying to stop Michigan and specifically Wayne County, which covers Detroit, from certifying its results, sort of trying to head off a state certification by attacking it at the county level. And those efforts failed. You know, the Trump campaign tried to sue in federal court to stop Wayne County from certifying and then voluntarily dismissed their own case, claiming that they had gotten what they wanted, which was false. Wayne County did certify the results, and another case that had been pending just today got knocked down by the Michigan Supreme Court after, you know, being knocked down by an intermediate appellate court and the lower court. And so that really ended the legal challenges that were left trying to stop the results from being finalized in Michigan. It was certified today. There's really nothing in court right now trying to stop it. So again, notwithstanding the rhetoric, the campaign doesn't appear to have any kind of legal path available at this point to undo or unring the bell in Michigan for for Joe Biden. And we're now into very surreal territory. About a half hour before we started this episode, I quickly saw an interview with one of the lawyers on on Trump's team who insisted that Trump won by a landslide and this will all be uh, laid out for, for everyone to see soon. And there is no path. There is no, there is no case that is pending now that can overturn any of the election results. Is, is that fair? I think that's right. You know, even gaming out, let's say they get everything they want in Pennsylvania. Let's say the Third Circuit says, yes, go ahead with your second amended complaint. The district judge says, aha. I, I was wrong. I'm convinced you're right. We should stop Pennsylvania from certifying. And then the Third Circuit agrees. And then Pennsylvania takes it to the Supreme Court. And the justices all say, yes, you're right. We should stop the results from being certified in Pennsylvania. Biden still wins. <laughs> That's 20 electoral votes. It's, it's not enough. So, And there really aren't cases. There are a few cases still pending in Nevada, but none that appear to have any kind of legs to really undo the count in Nevada and the win for Joe Biden there. So even if they get Pennsylvania, it doesn't change the election. All it's it's really doing at this point is just sowing mistrust in the process. It's undermining uh, among Trump supporters the legitimacy of, of the Biden administration from day one. It's not great for the health of our democratic process, you could say. Speaking in terms of, of what's happening in court, you know, it really just, there is nothing, there's not a whole lot left that could change the outcome of the election. There's no there there right now. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of my colleagues and I, uh, over this last week, when we speak, we we just shake our heads, you know, um, on a Zoom conference or 
you know, on the phone, you could, you could hear them shaking their heads when, you know, we see what they're walking into court with. We see the briefs they're filing. And if, if we ever alleged half of what they alleged without any proof, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be, you know, we, we would all be out of a job very, very quickly. And I'm really just, uh, I'm amazed at the, the, the patience of these courts. Well, th- some of these courts haven't been so patient, right? I mean, some of these courts have, have really shut these down fairly quickly. They have. Some of them have moved very quickly, but I sense that the judges handling these cases for the most part are trying to give the campaign and the, the other Republicans, not all of the cases of the Trump campaign and the Republican challengers, a fair amount of room to really put it all out there. They get their chance to be heard. I think the courts don't want to be seen as just shutting them down immediately and, and um, opening the door to questions about whether the courts are you know in on the fix. Or I think there's been a lot of, they've gotten a lot of leeway. You know, at the, the hearing last week before Judge Brand in Pennsylvania, he let Rudy Giuliani talk for a, a long time, much longer than I think I would expect from my experience, a judge to sort of let counsel just kind of talk. So I think they're trying very hard to give them every opportunity to make their case. But then, yes, acting very quickly in the end to deny whatever request they're seeking or to grant dismissal. Yeah, I mean, the level of patience, I, I believe it was Judge Brand, right? I think it was Pennsylvania where, I think it had to be Pennsylvania where Rudy Giuliani wasn't sure of the terms strict scrutiny. and Right, you know, right. he asked for normal scrutiny. Yeah, that which is, which is, uh, yeah, which is really, it's great. Which is not a thing. It's just not a, it's not a thing. And and you, you knew it wasn't a thing probably halfway through your first year of, of law school. So Rudy's flailing. And as you said, this is having a a very corrosive effect on our democracy. I mean, all this is doing in, in every single hour that goes by, um, there are, I mean, how many million people, 70, 75 million people, 72 million people, whatever, you know, may believe that the elections were rigged and uh, there's something there. And that's going to that's going to really uh, in the long term really be harmful. Uh, and not to mention all of this is going on during a pandemic. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, people were noting the timing. So Rudy Giuliani's son, unfortunately, tested positive for COVID and had been quarantining and I think had been Washington, his son worked in the White House. And when Rudy had appeared in court earlier in the week, you know, we could listen in by audio, but we couldn't see in the courtroom, but we could hear the judge, Rudy asking the judge, do I need to keep wearing my mask while I argue? And the judge had said, it's up to you. And I think a lot of, you know, anyone who's taking the pandemic very seriously, sort of cringe to hear that and imagining, you know, the mask coming off and then speaking in a, in an indoor setting for a long period of time. And then to learn that a family member tested positive several days later for COVID, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the pandemic is just inescapable here. And that's immediately what I thought about when I saw the news about his son was that exchange. It's stressful, you know, being around people not wearing masks. I find it stressful. So I, you know, all of us just hoping that everyone is okay. And even in a case with nothing to do with the pandemic, the pandemic presence known. Yeah, for sure. Again, things happen so quickly. Just before we started uh, this episode, 
I believe the Trump had had tweeted something about the uh, transition. It was almost like a you know a, a half-hearted. I don't want to call it a concession, but it was a half-hearted acknowledgement that the GSA is going to start the process. Where do you think this goes from here? One thing that's important to remember is that a lot of times these cases are coming up and there's a request for emergency relief and the courts are just saying no. You know, you're not entitled to any of this, no injunction. But there are some cases that raise, you know, questions of law that may matter down the road, especially in terms of thinking about mail-in voting and is this a practice that's going to persist? You know, the campaign and Pennsylvania Republicans are before the Supreme Court right now. There is a pending case about ballots that arrive in a, a period after Election Day. And it's a, it's a group of, I think, about 10,000 ballots. So regardless of what happens there, it's, it's not enough to change the results. But, you know, I, I think there's some, um, we've gotten indications from some of the court's more conservative justices that they are interested in revisiting the authority of election officials or state Supreme Courts to manage elections in a way that is either not explicitly authorized or contradicts policies set by state legislatures. You know, so there are questions of law that could persist past this election. But in short term, it's not clear where this any of this can really go at this point. And certainly none of it is, at least now, to change anything in terms of Joe Biden being the president-elect and the next president. Absolutely. Those were some very good observations. I I appreciate your time and and I I appreciate you being so generous with it on a day like today. Uh, I'm sure you were very busy and uh, you've been very busy and we appreciate all of the work you do. You're, you you do an excellent job at BuzzFeed. And if, if anybody listening doesn't, doesn't follow uh, Zoe, I suggest you do, um, as you could tell. I mean, Zoe, what is your what is your background um, with respect to to the law? I, I'm not a lawyer. Before BuzzFeed, I was at the National Law Journal covering federal courts, mostly at the, the district and circuit court level. So my background is that I'm always happy to talk to lawyers. So I was happy to come on and chat with you about all of this. You have a great depth of knowledge on on the law, and you know, I asked that question because could have fooled me you know that you weren't a lawyer so, um, so uh, i knew i knew how to answer the question about scrutiny and i didn't go to law <laughs> yeah well again thank you so much uh, be safe stay safe and uh have a have a great thanksgiving and if thank I, you I, you I, too david i'd love to have you back on because you do have a you have a way of of explaining uh, somewhat complicated issues in a very clear and concise way. And I really, I admire that. I appreciate that. So I'd love to have you on in the future to, to do that if need be. Thanks, David. That sounds great. Thank you. On behalf of David, once again, thank you for listening to this episode. Please take a moment to subscribe and give us a rating at Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time on The Trial Group.